Hi, I'm Gordon Lamp here, and welcome to the Real Finds Podcast, the podcast series where we interview key entrepreneurs, scientists, and activists who are shaping the commercial real estate industry, and as a result, our world. On today's podcast, we'll be speaking with Isabel Guarino. Isabel is the Chief Operating Officer at Residential Assisted Living Academy that specializes in senior care home investment and business education. On the podcast, we discuss common industry trends, the methodology behind consistently hiring quality talent, best practices for the implementation of effective business systems, the growing silver tsunami, and the future of residential assisted living. It's well worth a listen. Isabel, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to start off uh, by having you tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, Could you give us just a little brief background? Sure. So um, I'm the CEO of Residential Assisted Living Academy. We teach and train real estate investors and entrepreneurs how to start, own, and operate residential assisted living homes. Not only do we teach it, but we do it ourselves. We've been in the business for about 10 years. Um, It all started with my dad, um, and we've been able to carry it forward from there. And it's been a whole lot of fun. So... I think the most important thing that we always like to start off with is understanding someone's why. So Mm. why uh, did you get into assisted living and what really ultimately drives your passion for that industry? That's a perfect place to start. I think um, (laughs) it really began with my grandmother. She fell, broke her hip, and the doctor said she can't go home alone. You know, she needs 24-7 care, help with activities of daily living. And so my dad and his siblings were faced with that situation that many families are faced with. And it's like, does one of us quit our job and take care of her full time? Do we get her one-on-one care or do we put her into like a home? And as soon as you say it, you kind of feel icky. Like maybe you even promised your loved one you wouldn't. Um, But my dad really, as he was searching for options for her, he, he was finding nothing suitable places that we wouldn't want to leave my goldfish, let alone my grandmother, um, and really just vowed to find something better. And he kind of stumbled into residential assisted living during that hunting phase um, and did quick math and realized, I'm going to be paying five grand a month for her to live in one of these homes, or we could own the real estate, own the business, be cash flowing, and she could live for free. This just makes a lot of sense to buy one of these and kind of get involved. So it really started with my grandmother. um, And that was about 10 years ago. Uh, And then last year, uh, my dad passed. And so it really, for me now, has transitioned into carrying his legacy forward of doing good and doing well and sharing with as many real estate investors and entrepreneurs as I can about the mission of uh, Residential Assisted Living Academy. So what is Residential Assisted Living Academy? Because I think um, there's a lot of uh, ways that you can take that name. Uh, what What is the business? And can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, so we um, are an educational company that teaches and trains real estate investors and entrepreneurs how to start, own, and operate their own assisted living home. So not a commercial facility like a big box, a Brookdale Sunrise, not that. It's a residential home, like a single family home, not a three bed, two bath. These are luxury homes with lots of bedrooms and bathrooms, but still single family. And instead of mom, dad, two kids and a dog living there, right? You've got six to 16 seniors living in the home 
who need 24-7 care and help with activities of daily living. So at our trainings, we're showing real estate investors how to purchase or renovate the property and the business, how to hire their appropriate staff so that they don't have to run the business hands on and how to make sure that the seniors are getting the best of the best care and the caregivers are really doing what they're what they're there for to to do. So um, we teach people how to do that. So what's the biggest difference between a small versus a large residential living facility? Because I think that there's a. Uh, an, an image that most people have in their heads of senior living. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? The quality of care is drastic. So in a big facility, it's 30 seniors to one caregiver. In our homes, it's four seniors to one caregiver. So although people want oftentimes one-on-one care with their loved ones, like a caregiver coming into the home and doing one-on-one care, it's not always feasible, right? The average cost is $27 an hour in our nation. And if you need 24-7 care, 27 times 24 times 30 days in a month, that's $19,000 a month. Plus your mortgage lease, whatever, and food activities, you know, everything else. We're talking $20,000, a month. Most uh, Americans can't afford that. So having that four to one or five to one ratio is a lot better care, right, than the 30 to one. One person cannot care for 30 people. That's insane. <laughs> um, yeah. That's what's happening in these big facilities. And they're charging a ton and and the, the care is poor. And it's really not the caregiver's fault. It's the system's fault. So uh, there are many differences. But for me, the biggest standout one is the quality of care. So when you're talking about these new facilities, getting to the real estate perspective, Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the biggest things that we look at often when folks are looking at potentially investing in facilities is uh, ADA requirements. Mm -hmm. So you've talked about having, um, you know, smaller size facilities. Are are you uh, typically going in and rehabbing a building? Are you uh, suggesting investors go and uh, build new What's usually the structure of kind of tackling the commercial real estate side of a senior living facility? Yeah. So all we teach on is the residential side. So not commercial. Um, But there's four ways that you could get involved. One is buying land and building a custom home from the ground up. So a lot of people who live in the Midwest or Texas, right, where there's still land available, that's a great way to do this. Um, Another way is buying a single family home and converting it to become. Um, two of our properties, that's how we got involved. So they were just 6,000-ish square feet properties, right, um, homes, and we just chopped it up differently. They didn't start as 10-bed, 10 10-bath 10 homes, but they became that, right? Maybe they were 6-bed, 5-bath or something close to that. And so just doing a bit of a renovation to get there to be more private bedrooms and bathrooms for the seniors. The third way you can do this is lease a property for it. So be partnering with the person who's going to be the landlord. Maybe they've done the renovations or maybe you're going to do it, um, but partnering with them so they know what you're doing within the home. And then fourth, you could buy an existing one. So buying the real estate, buying the business, you're up and running cash flowing day one. So what's the, in an ideal world, what's the strategy that you typically like to recommend? Hmm. It depends on price point and timeline. With the land structure, I mean, that's taken some of our students two to three years to get their homes up and running, but they're beautiful. They're spectacular. So um, I love that if you have the time. 
but we have other people who are like, I need to change my life. I need to be cash flowing 10 to 15 grand ASAP. And for those people, I think buying an existing one um, is the fastest way to get up and running and start that cash flow and coming in. So it really kind of depends on your preference. Um, but I would say custom land builds are really a lot of fun because you can make the home to perfection. Look, we're working with a group right now who's purchasing land um, on behalf of, um, we're working for a bank and helping yeah. them uh, sell the land. And I can tell you this, it's going to be absolutely beautiful, the facility yeah. that they're putting in. And um, we just hope that all the uh, the I's get dotted and all the T's get crossed and, and we yeah. can get, get this done. So um, I can only say that that's the uh, avenue that we've gone in the past, but I'm fascinated to hear how people go and uh, create value for an existing yeah. facility. So what is the biggest gap you see typically in a current existing facility that someone comes in and purchases? 80% of residential assisted living industry right now is run mom and pop style, meaning the person who owns the business also lives and works in the home. Um, they're typically from another country, an immigrant from another country, and they came over and they had heart for seniors. And they maybe said, I'll take in one to two seniors. And then it became three, four, five, and now it's 10 seniors and they're doing everything themselves. So when you're buying a business from someone like that, they're very attached to it, right? This is an emotional thing for them. It's not very, it's not as transactional as if it was a true business owner, operator, you know, um, sale. So the emotionality involved and then un, you're really having to completely redo their books because maybe there's a missing administrator because that's who they've been. And if you're going to run this as a business, you need to be hiring the proper people. So redoing the number, um, redoing all the numbers, seeing where they've been missing expenses, where they've been potentially adding expenses. Um, the books is definitely the toughest one, the toughest part of buying an existing RAL. Look, uh, finances are always difficult. That's why we have a, a nice CFO over here who helps us with uh, all of our finance. Um, I certainly couldn't do it alone. Um, in terms of going and digging into uh, the industry, I think one of the most important questions, and I'm going to come back to something that we probably should have talked about at the beginning, but um, I think is probably one of the most important questions to ask is, how do how does someone know if residential assisted living is for them? Because, look, there's a lot of avenues that you can take in the business world. There's a lot of business opportunities out there. I'll tell you, for me personally, uh, I love people, but I don't love people that much. I think I would struggle um, uh, in that kind of a profession, but it's an absolute um, necessary profession. Mm. How does somebody uh, know if residential living is kind of in their future? For From the investor or entrepreneur perspective, for me, the, the, the highlights I see for people coming who are interested in learning more, almost always it's about um, making an impact, I would say. It's someone who Typically, our students in class are already business owners. They already make a ton of money. It's not the, the cash flow is exciting to them, but they're like, I'm over making money. Money becomes just money at the end of the day. And I want to leave an impact. I want to change the world. I want to change my community. And so I think having, you know, that purposeful heart set is a really good place for people to start from. Um, and then secondarily, we get a lot of people just like my dad who have a loved one 
who needs assisted living and they're disgusted with the options and they're looking for something different. And so they really want to create something for their own, you know, family members um, and maybe even themselves one day. Maybe they're like, I don't trust that my kids are going to put me in a <laughs> place. And they're like, I want to do something great that I could then live and pass on in and pass a blessing to my kids. So I think it comes from uh, familial ties and making an impact. And that really kind of combination creates a really amazing new entrepreneur in this business. So ultimately, one of the things I know you really discuss a lot about is creating effective business systems. Mm -hmm. And um, I think regardless of industry, you can learn from pretty much any industry, what methods and systems are uh, kind of being applied. I'm curious, when you when you dig in and, and you guys are looking at a, a facility that's in progress, what are the um, first systems that you typically look at to change? Mm. Um, I would say um, there are so many systems in a residential assisted living home, right? From the onboarding, the hiring and firing, dealing with all the independent contractors, and just all the contracts involved with not only the residents and their families, but also with you know the licensing process. So I would say making sure all of those are intact. And then like we talked about earlier, 80% of this is run mom and pop style. So a lot of times it's hard copy books, right? Nothing is systematized, nothing is um, digital. And so really we like to come in and make sure that things are as digital as possible because a lot of times that manual work is taking way too much time. And I like to teach people to work on their business, not in it. Um, I spend one hour a week on the phone with my manager and I visit the home every other month. So I'm not hands-on at all. Most of the seniors and their families don't know me or know my name. They've never seen my face. They don't need to. I'm not a caregiver. I'm not a licensed administrator. Those are the staff members who are there on the day-to-day -day caring for the seniors and that's who the family needs to know and trust and interact with, not me. I want to work high level on those systems so that we can be hands off and everything runs smoothly. Um, so I think from that perspective, digitalizing as many things as possible is always going to make it easier and better from literally intake forms, building websites. Like a lot of these homes, if you buy an existing one, they might not even have a website. They might not have a Facebook page. It's so simple to do all those things and get everything in alignment. So now marketing is just happening without you even having to be out there, do everything. Look, I, I think we can go back to marketing and, and we can touch on digitalization because that's a, a reoccurring topic on this podcast. Mm -hmm. But what I think was interesting is you mentioned hiring and firing practices. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that's unique uh, about uh, the connection between both of our industries is that we're essentially ultimately managing people. Uh, we're service industry driven, be it a real estate company or be it a, a company that works with assisted living. How do you go about the hiring process? Because I can only imagine it's a difficult labor market still, uh, regardless of where you think the economy is going. And um, it must be hard to find uh, employees that are willing to work in the industry. How is it that you go about uh, searching for and then sorting through employees that are going into the assisted living industry. We love the tool um, Predictive Index. Have you used that? I have not. So okay. uh, <laughs> it is amazing. Um, it's more or less, I don't know how to describe it besides to say a personality quiz, but 
it's a two question quiz that will tell you um, who this person is naturally, who they feel they have to be at work and how they're coming off at work. And the reason I love this tool is because if who they are naturally and who they feel they have to be at work are completely different profile matches, they're not going to have longevity in your job. They're going, that's that person who can't wait till Friday and hates what they do. And they're just like, this is the worst, you know, it's because they're not using their skills of who they actually are. So finding people who not only have the actual match of who they naturally are with the job profile, but also those things matching, they feel like this is who I'm supposed to be. Now you get people who are happy in their role, who are using their God-given skills. And to me, that's amazing. So we love that tool. I literally won't even interview people unless they are a nine out of 10 match on the predictive index um, for the job. So you can create different job profiles based on each role that you're hiring for. Um, when it comes for us to interviewing, I also like to do working interviews for the caregivers. So I tell them like, come in at Alpha, you don't mind getting messy in. Um, it's going to be a four hour working interview. And they're not going into bedrooms, bathrooms, doing anything intimate um, as far as caring for the seniors. But I want them interacting with the staff, with the families that come in, with the residents. And I want to see them because it's one thing to say you are a specific way. It's another thing to see it. Um, and so I think that's really important. Um, as well as getting references. I think nowadays, and especially in small business, people kind of throw that out the window. They're like, they've worked somewhere before and they don't take the time <laughs> to recall those references. In corporate culture, that's that's such a normalcy, but in small business, a lot of people just trust. Um, and so I think it's really important to actually lean into that a little bit and call people before and say, what was it like when they worked for you? And you know, why did it, did it go a different way? And there's always two sides to a story. So I think there's a lot of things you can do to make sure that, that you're hiring the right person for the right seat. Look, I think that's fantastic. Um, I, I know personally, uh, we are a heavy, heavy, heavy user of references. Yeah. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of information that you can glean, particularly from uh, our relationships with other management companies and other uh, brokerages in the area. Um, but I am blown away by your first two methods. And so I, I wanted to um, follow up on the uh, the second method in particular. Uh, and um, uh, when you're going about and, and doing the interview process with somebody who's working, uh, what are you looking for typically um, in particular? Because I think there's a lot of a lot of hiring methodology, but I'm fascinated by yours. I in in the working interview, something I'm looking for, and and we jokingly call it the the pen drop test. So you can do it in an actual sit down interview, but the the method is this, right? There's a pen on the table, and it flies off. I kind of flick it off, right? Does this person try to grab the pen? The floor is lava, right? Try to grab it as fast as they can. Do they kind of not even notice the pen? They're just looking dead at you. Or are they kind of doing this thing? You know, and, and that in between. And for me, for a caregiver, yeah. right? I need someone who, when the senior is doing a, like sipping sipping the straw and their, their cup is empty, I need a caregiver who just hears that and says, Sally needs her cup filled and just proactively does stuff. Not someone who doesn't even notice the sippy, you know, straw. So the pen drop test or things of that nature are an excellent way for me to determine, is this person just innately good at 
run and grab the pen, innately going to fill the cup, innately going to get the blanket for the person who's cold or help them get up or whatever the case is. Obviously, every industry is a little different, but um, I'm a person who wouldn't notice the pen, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I'm not a good caregiver. I wouldn't hire myself for this, but that's a skill I know that I'm looking for. So there's a lot of different um, tools and tricks that you can do like that if you're looking for a specific quality in someone. Because for me to ask someone, are you attentive? Everyone's going to say, yes, yes, I am. But I need to see that. I need to see, are you actually in, in who you are? Or is, is that something that, you know, doesn't come as naturally to you? Yeah, that, uh, I, I'm uh, absolutely fascinated by that. I would say uh, uh, that's something that we would love to incorporate in our hiring practices, particularly our property managers, because yeah. Nothing like being attentive uh, when you're managing people, when you're managing buildings, or um, just on a daily basis in the service industry. So uh, one of the things um, I'm always curious uh, about, particularly um, this podcast is curious about, is looking towards the future. And um, what I've seen is a lot of your content, you talk about um, not only methodology, but somewhat sometimes where the future of where you think residential assisted living is going. Yeah. And so I'm curious if you could touch on uh, what you're seeing in the industry trends and kind of where um, you're starting to see the future of uh, assisted living going. Yeah. You know, um, currently the silent generation is who's living in assisted living. There's only about 47 million of them. And the baby boomers are yet to come, right? We call it the silver tsunami. It's approaching, but it's not here yet. We see that wave building up and we're still maybe 10, 20 years out from a huge crash in that regard. There's 76 million baby boomers. We are currently 1.3 million beds short in assisted living. And the NIC is projecting we're only adding about 50,000 beds per year. So with doubling, almost doubling, the amount of seniors that are going to need care, we're already short and we're not building fast enough. I see a huge crisis. That's what I see. Um, and it was a world war that started the baby boom. So it's not just in America. It's in our entire world. Um, but I also see the biggest opportunity that our generation has ever faced. Um, it's, it's that follow the money method, right? The baby boomers have been driving the economy for the last 70 years, and this is their final wave goodbye. So I don't care how people choose to, um, you know, take action, whether it's investing in medical beds, long-term care insurance, diapers. I literally don't care. All I'm saying is choose something that you're passionate about and, and go forward because this is a 20 year span ahead of us where there's going to be massive need for home care assistance and everything that people need in those last years of life. Um, I, I also feel that COVID shined a huge uh, light on what was happening in the big commercial assisted living facilities and praise God for it because it's not okay. The neglect and abuse that's been happening in those homes and how terribly they were treated during COVID, basically like prisoners locked in their rooms, food sliding under the door. Um, it was rough. And a lot of families ripped their loved ones out of big boxes and were begging to come into our smaller care homes. So for me, we've always been saying smaller is better, but I think COVID really proved that. And now you have people looking for alternative options. So I truly think that residential assisted living is the way of the future. It's the Uber to the taxi. It's the Airbnb to the hotel. It's the new wave. 
Um, you know, even if we're living in the metaverse, someone's still going to need to take care of mom and dad. Um, yeah. Don't see this going away. And the supply and the demand is in our favor. The numbers are in our favor. It's kind of inevitable, right? We're all aging or know someone who is. Uh, so I, I think it's kind of that perfect recipe to say, uh, no matter how you want to get involved, get involved because this is happening and we can't stop it. So, um, yeah, uh, my grandmother was in a residential assisted living home as well. And, and we made the choice not to go with a big box. Um, and uh, as, as I think most folks who are educated on the industry often try to try to look, mm -hmm. uh, forward in terms of going back to COVID. Yeah. Um, and I, and I know, you know, most people don't want to talk about COVID, but I think COVID, COVID is particularly fascinating for um, residential living and um, uh, nursing care. Uh, what was the biggest trend you learned from COVID that, that you adopted? You know, for us, um, because our homes are smaller, anywhere between six and 16 seniors is what's allowed in each state. Um, and our caregivers it's not like a big box where it's like a bunch of people coming and going, a janitor, a front desk person, a chef, a this or that, where they have hundreds of staff members. Ours is very different, right? You might only have two or three staff members on per day and one or two at night. So it's the same people coming and going. So it was significantly easier for us to control who was in and out of the home versus those big facilities. They just can't. There, there's more staff. And so if one person went out partying the night before and, and brought something in, it is what it is. Um, for yeah. us, it was a lot easier to kind of control that. So I feel like we really did not have to change too much of our day-to-day -day operations. Um, but I think it really caused us to get more creative um, with our activities in the home and with our visitation with families um, and different things like that. We always suggest having really nice front yards and backyards. And we would do outings to the park and let all the families come and different things like that. Um, but I think it really just caused us to get creative and also to build a really strong family environment in our homes. You know, when there's only six to 16 seniors, they all know each other and they do start to become friends. And with families potentially visiting a little less, um, it really became them relying on each other for that social interaction. And so it really caused us to drive up the activities um, and just make it really fun within the home. So I think it was for us, we didn't have to change nearly as much as the big facilities did. Um, and we also really got to incorporate more activities and really grow and strengthen together as like a family within that household. So we've talked a lot about personalization um, and I think we're ending um, our, our main uh, podcast interview, but I think we're going to the most personalized part of the podcast interview, which is our real finds final four questions. Okay. And um, what I'm most interested in, and this is one of my favorite questions is, 10 years from now, what do you think will have changed the most about the commercial or um, the assisted living and residential assisted living environment? 10 years from now, I think we're going to see a lot more niche uh, homes or facilities, meaning the silent generation does not care as much about their food and their activities. The baby boomers do. I think we're going to see <laughs> vegan homes, gluten-free homes, wellness homes. I think we're going to see men only, women only, LGBTQIA plus communities. 
Um, I think we're going to see a lot more niche style assisted living homes and facilities, and that's going to be a big draw. So uh, let me follow up on that. So in terms of personalization and niche homes, what are the fastest growing niches that you're seeing in the, in the industry right now? By far, wellness. So really anything surrounding health, healthful food choices, um, different, you know, physical therapy activities and stretching and senior yoga, um, even incorporating pet therapy, a lot of like gardens in the backyard, farm to table vibes, like spending designated time outside getting that vitamin D. So I think wellness homes are a huge trend. And I think that's going to be the biggest push. Very, very cool. Um, so look, I, I would only hope to be uh, living well later in life. Um, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll find out if, if that's the case. Yeah. But uh, one of the most important things that we do is we like to not only look towards the future, but we like to look back. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, Isabel, at the start of your career, when you started off, if you could give yourself, you know, one quick little bit of advice, what would that bit of advice be? Hmm. You know, when I started with my dad, uh, he had owned the three homes and then we started slowly teaching and training people on it and really built from there. It was him, I, and one other gentleman who were starting this one company, um, which is now eight companies and 50 employees that I run primarily myself. Um, I would have never imagined that. I thought I was just a little assistant or helper. So I think I would just give myself, um, you know, a little whisper in the ear about have confidence and you can do this and, um, you know, keep putting people first, whether that's people in the company or, um, you know, the seniors that we're, we're doing this for, the impact we're doing this for, keep people at the forefront and have confidence. Hey, uh, the confidence to add value, that is an incredible trait. Um, and I, I think everyone who's listening to this podcast would, would hope that as well. Um, but one of the things that we can add value right now to folks is going and looking at what books or what knowledge may ha might have influenced you. So uh, is there a list of books maybe on real estate or business or um, even even your, your industry in particular that have truly influenced how you see the world? The book I always uh, recommend is the 5am club. I love that book. And it's about what the title is, you know, waking up at five, <laughs> really, it's about more. Um, it's, it's like a nonfiction or, or a fiction book, fiction book. So it's really more of a, a story about how um, prioritizing your life and your goals and living for your true purpose um, changes your life. It's less about waking up at five and more about um, prioritization um, of your heart set, headset, mindset, all being in conjunction. Um, and if it is how your life will just grow and flourish. Um, but there's so many amazing books. I know my dad wrote a couple on assisted living because there was very few out there. Um, I recently wrote a book, Living Legacy, um, again, about my journey in assisted living and then, you know, tips on getting started. So we definitely need more content in my industry, but just motivational books, 5am club is definitely something that's helped guide my journey. Hey, well, uh, we'll have to put a living legacy on there as well. Um, and in, in terms of the last thing, uh, ultimately our legacy on the podcast is trying to bring more influential voices into 
not only the real estate industry, but just kind of the way in which we view business. Mm. And so I was curious, um, in terms of your legacy today, um, who would be the next person that you would like us to bring on the podcast? Uh, and it could be anybody in the um, assisted living world or in the commercial real estate world. Love that. I think um, I'm really loving um, Philip Vincent. I don't know if you know him. I can connect to you if not. Um, I would love that. Yeah, I do not know Philip. Awesome. He owns a company called Mom's House. Um, it's similar to what we do, but he's the noun of assisted living. So he helps take care of the person, place, and things. Um, and that's also very important for people in the real estate space as we're going to have all these homes on the market of seniors needing to move into assisted living. What do we do with them? Um, and he's got an amazing plan for that. And he um, teaches all about how to do that. And he does it himself. So um, I'm happy to connect you with Philip. Isabel, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Um, the last question, and this is the most important question of all. Okay. Where can someone find you? Yes, we are um, on all forms of social media at RAL Academy, but also check out RAL101.com. It's a great first place to kind of get started. We've got um, webinars, books, all sorts of different downloads at no cost to you. Um, that you can connect with me or my team members there, ral101.com. Isabel, thank you very much for hopping on today. And uh, uh, please, uh, we might we uh, are very appreciative and uh, we'd love to have you on in the future. Yes, thanks for having me. Thanks again to Isabel. We appreciate her insights. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a like, a five-star rating or review. Your comments, interactions, and subscriptions truly matter and help us continue to provide quality guests. You can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gordon Lamphere with The Real Finds Podcast. Thank you for listening.